0: This morning we're in uh, Romans 12, and let's thank God for it. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, we're grateful for your uh, apostles. You laid out things that your spirit bears witness to in our lives. Everything they say resonating with the same Holy Spirit you have given us. We're grateful for that clarity and understanding. In your son's name, amen. It's one of those awkward moments in sermon prep world. I I tell you about these things because you need to know. That I was looking at Ephesians 4 this morning, not Romans 12. Prepped the sermon, sat there with my coffee. This is great. Look at, look at Ephesians 4, I have it, and I looked at my notebook that said when I preached in it last, it had been I don't know four or seven years I don't know, something like that I said, why Ephesians 4 can't miss that and it covered a number of things that we see in Romans 12 and I said, well I'm going to refer to Romans 12 too so I'm going to go back and use that as a if everything worked out in my mind go get my Pop-Tart, I always have a Pop-Tart Sunday morning with my coffee. Head to the basement, open up the notebook again to look at something else, and then realize that less than a year ago I had taught through Ephesians 4. I said, what am I going to do now? Well, I'll just flip the sermon. I'll just go teach out of Romans 12 the same thing I was going to, and have Ephesians 4 be the side reference. So that's why it's there on the side Ephesians four seventeen and following. Because I hadn't been in Romans 12 in 4 or 5 years It's a familiar passage to us all We know the verses 1 and 2 I appeal to you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And a favorite of Evans verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We know that. We know that verse. It's a great chapter. It's almost a chapter you could say, maybe you've run across these in the New Testament, a chapter that you would say, if I was limited to one chapter to take onto a desert island, to minister to the soon-to-be Christian headhunters. It wouldn't be Desert Island then, would it? Okay, work with me here. I, I misspoke. Um, Romans 12 would be one of those chapters. It's one of those wonderful places where so much is given to us about direction in the Christian life. The problem, of course, as you know, with quotables, things that show up with a soft-focus tree on Facebook and The words of Romans 12, 1 and 2, there on top of it, is that the phrase, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, it almost comes across to us, in the name of God, or in the name of all that's holy, it's that kind of cliche, almost curse, positive curse, that you say, geez. But it's not that, because it actually occurs in a letter that Paul wrote that the preceding verses in Romans 11, for God has, right here on the right-hand side, well, that was convenient, for God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's just been, for the first 11 chapters, laying out how Jew and Gentile alike are under the wrath of God for their sins. All are consigned to sin. All are consigned uh, to God's disappointment in man. And grace, faith, all of that has come to all men everywhere. He fights it out with the Jewish Christian in In various chapters about how they, know you can't expect them to become Jews. You can't expect them to be second class. It's all by faith. And so he gets to the end, and he has this almost this song, this benedictory song that he lets you know: "To him be glory forever and ever, Amen." He ends on this great note that everything up to chapter end of chapter eleven is on that one theme, and then he tells you in chapter twelve how we as Christians are to live I appeal to you by those mercies that I just went hyperbolic about the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God this is just this is a great thing it is not a cliche uh, a spiritualized well you hear southern women always say bless her heart when they want to say something just really awful about somebody Well, she's she's just an awful person, bless her heart. We have little Christian phrases that are positive. We don't want to turn, by the mercies of God, into a positive Christian phrase, phrase that we, you might say, sanctify as a clause in the middle of a sentence, other things. It is because of the mercies that God has been displaying for you in the first 11 chapters of Romans, that you ought to hear the appeal Paul makes. I appeal to you because of this to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Without a ground of appeal, you've either got to be kind of a, you know, one of those pious prigs, people who really enjoy religion there are people who really do um, there's a lot in religion, there's a lot of culture there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of art there's a lot of power, there's a lot of things that can entertain you um, I grew up in a reasonably well It's Southern Baptist but you know For me, it was pretty religious. And I had all sorts of reasons to go to youth group, all sorts of reasons to put up with prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, all sorts of reasons to go to Sunday evening service, usually girls, I think is somewhere along, (laughs) always girls. (coughs) Never, ever did I ever want to know what was next in the Sunday school program, ever. You have to have a reason. You have to have a reason for going after the things of God. And if your motivation is to meet girls, or boys, I realize girls could be... You uh, I hear they could be deceptive. If we're not moved by this, what are we moved by? And if we're not moved by this, are we moved to this when we move towards religion? To present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, as your spiritual worship. Well, you can tell how quickly it's not that that's the spiritual worship of the church. It's all sorts of other things that become the worship of the church. Not people being living sacrifices. In a way that they're worth being the sacrifice. You know how you're not supposed to bring the crippled lamb to God and as a sacrifice. Well, you're not supposed to be the crippled lamb either. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be blameless. You're supposed to be spotless. And then you come and you bring yourself to God as a living sacrifice, saying, Lord, use me. I said, well, that's not quite... Is that? that really has, sounds like it's got a high standard. That sounds like, well, if I came out of the mercies of God, if I came out of a study of 11 chapters of the mercies of God the appeal might, might actually go, oh yeah. You know, if you have some time, if you're the kind of person that thinks about the sermon afterwards, go back to chapter 1 of Romans, start reading, say, I'm reading because the pastor said, because, you know, I can say these things, the pastor said, I should and hear 12, 1, and 2 in light of those first 11 chapters. Am I Am I amazed by this? The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So it's not a, a place. Uh, people enjoy religion. And there's all sorts of ways that we can play at it. And we, we, we labor here. It's not because uh, All Souls is that unique or anything. It's certainly small enough to do whatever we want. But. Uh, we're always warning ourselves about the pews. We like the pews. I like the pews. But we know, hopefully, we know the difference between religion and the mercies of God. There is a time you might want to check on your motivations. What is church, religion, Christianity doing for you? Um, People like me, people like, uh, who have a natural affinity for standing two steps higher than the other people, have a gift of gab, have a desire to have your opinions heard by others, have opinions. Religion's a great place. You know, frankly, what other circumstance? I mean, you can join a fraternal organization, you can become a part of a corporation. You don't get the privilege that a pastor gets, really. The, the, the pastor gets to... I mean, think about it. What other rooms have a little stage that lifts you up higher than other people? I am two steps higher than you are. And then asks you to talk about your own ideas about things for 40 minutes with no back chat. Nobody's giving any noise out there. You might even feel, it. I didn't agree with that, but you do no, not going to say anything. Never say it, no, my gosh, that'd be socially inappropriate. This is great. I like this. That's one of the reasons churches exist. To meet the needs of opinionated people. Other people just like to have the, a social moment. People are generally nice, but they get a sense of personal affirmation. It's all part of the self-esteem culture where you get built up and told that you look nice. But something like chapter 12 of Romans lays out well, kind of like the passage that David read this morning. <laughs> you look at the history of the church and you go, where in heaven's name did this ever go on? What Paul was recommending in Titus. Where? You've got to to turn over rocks in bohemia to find some group of people who attempted to do the right thing. Everybody else is attempting to put everybody else to death. This sort of description of our life together is, well, it's important because I want you, even if you're a student, you're just here for a short time, Trying to convince Lauren to go to grad school here. But still, only a short time. We have a life together that, that we ought to each be measuring. Because it's not going to be measured, the, as you know, this church is not a program church. We're not going to say, we've discovered what you need to be doing and we're going to create programs into which you can find it. We're hoping that you are going to grow in grace by the mercies of God, you would present yourselves and that presentation would create a life here harder to get at, longer to wait for, more patience required, but that be this, that you're presenting your spiritual worship having considered what God's grace has done for you. And that our worship together, just the fellowship, the request for a hymn, the prayers prayed, the scriptures read, would be because each one of us presented ourselves this morning in the light. Because the mercies of God were great. Verse 2, so that was a lot, Evan, on one verse that we were all familiar with. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We offer ourselves based on what Christ has done for us, we offer ourselves in purity to what? To just anything? Anything you could think of? We need some controls, right? We don't You'd see all the different varieties of religious experience out there, and you don't want to be jumping pews, and you don't want to be, you know, marching in some militaristic uh, 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 Western Christian triumphalism or something like that. We're encouraged to avoid what the world thinks like and follow a mental path to a transformation because proving what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect is needful to you. Because by the mercies of God, you want to present a holy and perfected life to God, living in the body, so that you can be real worship. You are real worship. You are the worship that, that shows what kind of religious experience you've had with the living God. The church does not provide the worship that will let you have a place to go pretend that you have a relationship with the living God. Your life is the worship that declares what relationship you have with the living God. But it lets you know that finding a mental path, a mental path not in conformity to the way the world thinks, Now, this is where he gets into the point that I wanted to... with that sort of as a premise. Verse 3 starts at, For by the grace given to me... He's a continuing of the thought, and it's also referring back to what he personally has received, just like he appealed to you by what you received. You should be committed to these basic common truths the mercies of God have been presented to you that's where your religious experience is and when a man has a religious experience he's out on the where would he be he's a savage Uh, Hyperborea, northern Germany thunderstorm He's frightened. Lightning hits a tree. He thinks it's Wotan. He grabs one of his sheep the next day because he survived. And he sacrifices it on the rock because he believed Wotan would appreciate that. He had a religious experience and he sacrificed something. Something valuable to him. And when he starts to get civilized and sleek and sophisticated, he starts cutting back on the quality of the sacrifice, because now it's just a kind of a rigmarole he goes through. He knows it's just a power play. But those of us who have been changed by the mercies of God, that's the lightning hitting the tree. And Wotan, or Yahweh in this case, looking for a sacrifice. You're groping around looking, what do I do? Blood of sheep and goats? Turtle doves, what are we going to do? The new covenant says you, yourself, presented, made right, holy, acceptable, proved to be so by a mental process. In that mental process, enacting that improvement, you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. For by the grace given to me, I bid every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Now he's narrowing the circumstance down. Now a lot of cases you could apply that verse in general. It's good not to think of yourself more highly than you want to think. That's just maybe a general truth. But here he's moving the church in Rome to know what portion of our life together They carry on. He's not talking just generally about ego and people's self-appraisal. Because this is where, you know, he says, each one of us is presenting to the body themselves as a living sacrifice. That they themselves have, based on their common experience with the grace of God, have cleaned themselves up, proved where that cleanness is supposed to be, and have presented their bodies to serve the kingdom. But there's going to be a distinction in that service. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but each with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you're just talking about your general impression of yourself. What's he talking about? Verse 4 says, For, because he's illustrating now what he just said, For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members, individually members one of another. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, because we're together, the nature of the together isn't the common thread of our common mercy and our common path to knowing. Our common mercy makes this valuable for us together. We come together because of that common mercy. We have a common presence of pursuit of God through the minds God gave us to try to transform our minds. You know that the big house motto is it's the thought that counts. That is, it's the thought that counts. How do you think? Have you been transformed? Are you unworldly in the way you think so that you can prove what is the will of God? We are all on the same boat, and at this point, we're not being brought in like some John Lockean or some Karl Marxian equality of person. We're equal in our mercies. We're equal in our procedure. We are not doing the same thing. And you say, don't use the word equal. I ah, use the word equal. He said, do not think of yourself more highly than he ought. Not everyone does the same thing in the body. Not everyone on Book of James says, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren." And it's not because teachers are jealous. It's Not because teachers are, are, are envious of each other. Well, they are, but it's not because they, to keep them happy. It's because the body isn't the same there. That's the nature. It's not like, oh, we've all had the same experience with the mercies of God. We all have the same procedure of knowing what's true. Uh, We're all going to end up exactly the same, cookie cutter of each other. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Having gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us. He just started that passage out. For by the grace given to me, I bid every one of you. That's his gift, and he's using it graciously. He says, having these gifts that differ according to the grace, we're not the same there. But having gifts that differ, let us use them. We're all supposed to use the mercies of God to drive us to offer ourselves. That we'd hear the appeal. We're all supposed to use a mind distant from worldliness to transform our understanding of what is good for us to be like. We're all supposed to guard very closely our assessment of who we are. We don't get to assume that we're all the same. We were the same on point one, the same on point two, and different on point three. Check who you are. Because you are someone that has been brought into the body of Christ with a, with a, I might say, a sacrificial task that you could be doing, moved by the mercies of God, moved by an understanding of what would be good. But in this difference... Let us use them. And he actually gives a list here. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. He who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who contributes in liberality. He who gives aid with zeal. He who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're here to serve physically each other because of the mercies we received. We're here to understand together the nature of that great mercy and the nature of what is good together. Same way, same thing. And we're supposed to, from it, know what you've been given. Honestly. Again, Positions in the church or service in the church is not there to reward you know, someone who's got a success Jones on them. You're supposed to find out who you are. What can you do? And then use that can-do commensurate to the level of the can-do in you. Prophecy in measure of your faith. Service in your serving. Teachers in your teaching. What you're able to do, you do. more. You don't claim to be more than what you can do. So you have two two controls on this point of assessment. We all discover the good that is in the Christian life. We all know um, when you read through a passage together, the second part of this chapter is all stuff where should be going, amen, 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 amen. We all know the same thing. But you're learning about you. You're learning about you, and you're kind of, you know, you. I don't know what your gifts are. One of the things is a teacher, and I've taught for a lot of years, what's the prophet one of our own, hath said, a man's got to know his limitations. You've got to realize, you know, if I was called upon to teach on um, X, I couldn't do it. I just don't know. I couldn't even get ready. You have to know what you can't do. In your teaching, you know what you discovered of yourself as a teacher. In your service, you know what you discovered of yourself in service. Say you're a servant of the church, you're just a person who loves to be a benefit in that regard. That doesn't mean that every service possible to render, you render, because you're a student of who you are. You don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, either in position or in capability. You let your giving reflect the commensurate value of what you have. If you've got three children under the age of five and you've got a heart of service for the saints, forget about it for a few years. Or, or, or add it up, you know, or, or offer it less because you don't have that to get. If you're some single person who's got no responsibilities, a real heart of service, you say, I can go after this. It's going to be commensurate to the nature of the gift. How great it is in you,
1: how available it is to be used in
0: you, Now the Ephesians 4 passage is floating there in the middle of the page, because that's where I began this thinking this morning. And it, you'll notice he does the same thing. He has just come out an earlier part of Ephesians 4, talking about the, the how God gave various gifts to the church. Where is it? Ephesians 4. Uh, from verse 1 through uh, 16. There's one body, one spirit, what you're called to one hope that belongs to us all. Then he talks about the gifts he gave to man. What does it mean that he... uh, His gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. He's on the same subject, and then he gets to the latter part of the chapter. Now this I affirm and testify in the Lord that you no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of uncleanness. You did not so learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's saying the same thing. You might say the doctrine of Paul is jumbled out in different ways, in different books to different churches. So the Ephesians are getting this jumble of thought, don't think like the world, think like this. Renew yourself by thinking differently. Realize who you are in Christ. Realize the church has a variety of gifts and a a membership of belonging that we give ourselves, and we should not err in how we assess what this is. We should not err in our assessment of God's mercy. We should not err in our assessment of what is his will, good, acceptable, and perfect, we should not err, and who we are in the midst of that. Now, from verse nine through verse eighteen it's not, it doesn't appear that way in your Bibles, but it seemed like a list, so I thought how to make it look like a list, and I could put up numbers, but they always had verse numbers, and that could confuse so just center it, you know, break every verse apart. I want you to look at that list. In each one of these you could do a Bible study. It would take you all over the scriptures. I want you to understand the things we have in common, the tasks we are all appealed to do on the basis of the same thing. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, you do this. Every one of us can walk out the door going, okay, St. Paul appealed to me because of my apprehension of the mercies of God in me, what he did in Christ for me, that I would offer myself a living sacrifice. Every one of us can hear that appeal and make that a sound. Every one of us can look at the mindset of the world and look at the mindset of Christ and go, I'm going to be transformed into that which sees things clearly about goodness, righteousness, the way God wants the world. I'm going to know God's will. All of us can hear that. Some of you, when you're appealed to by the grace given to Paul, he's letting you know there is a variety of answers that you can get on the assessment of what you are physically giving the church. Everything from liberality... Aid, mercy, service, prophecy. I mean, some of flash gifts, some not so flashy. But again, you're being told to find out what part you play in a membership. Memberships are not fellowships in the sense that we have met people who, we have fellowship in Christ because that's all the same. We have membership in the church because that's not all the same membership is an inclusion of different ranks and different gifts C.S. Lewis talks about it in his essay on membership if you have a chance to read it in which he talks about even the family dog is a member of the family membership doesn't require equality husbands and wives be unequal children and parents are unequal they're all members of the family that's an uncommon thing you are discovering. You have an uncommon benefit to one another. You have a common grace. You have a common method of knowing. You have an uncommon benefit. And your life together is benefited only if you don't miss. Assess yourself. He says, let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to. This is in this assessment of what uncommon quality exists in you. Don't think of yourself too highly. Each of us. I mean, my gosh, how many problems exist in the Christian world because pastors and teachers think of themselves more highly than they ought. And that's not, I'm not too worried about the guy in the pew who thinks he's a teacher and he isn't. Okay, that's a that's, that's misassessment, too. But to think more highly than you can actually benefit people in is the bad mistake. We have to recognize this is uncommon. Recognize that we don't all get the good. We don't all get our 15 minutes. But then we come back to a common. This list from 9 to 18 was well actually to the end of the chapter. It's common. This is what you're thinking in Christ. Having so learned Christ, you would know, you would know from the very outset that these are good, acceptable, perfect. I mean, shoot up your hand if you have a problem with anything here as I go through it, okay? Just just hold the hand up and say, I that's done. You know, the Holy Spirit's really not leading me to... Let love be genuine. Anybody object to... I mean, I know false love is really, really great, but... any you object to genuine love? Hate what is evil? Hold fast to what is good? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If you're a kind of artistic kind of mentally artistic, where you can picture this person by the time you get to the end. If you were to put a name here, if someone said, oh, my name Steve here. Oh, yes, yeah, Steve. I well, mean, Steve. Cletus. Cletus is going to be the name. You know, Cletus, he, you know he really loves you. He's genuine. And he can't stand evil things. And Cletus really holds fast to good things. And Cletus loves everybody in the community of Christians with a great brotherly affection. And he's always saying nice things about everybody. And boy, you can't hold him down. He's just up about everything. I mean, zealous? Boy, you can't beat that Cletus. And as soon as you get to the end of thinking of why I picked the name Cletus and say, if I were describing somebody... Maybe you could put your own name in there. Is that... This is, this is a common list. This is not... You know, some of you, the Deeper Walk Club, once you've realized that you have different gifts, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But those of you who get to the end of that little process and you realize that you belong in the theologian's corner of All Souls Christian, yeah, you people, all of us are to be this. Just like all of us hear the appeal of the mercies, all of us hear the appeal to how we know, all of us know there's going to be a different answer when it comes to what service functionally we have at the church, but we're back to commonalities. Does this describe us? To whatever degree. It doesn't. You must agree with it that it ought to be And you must agree that impediments that that keep you from being rejoicing in our hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Now, that's a pretty great character. You'd like to have that guy in your set of friends. Some of you might go, no, I don't want him in my set of friends. I don't need some zealous... Uh, be camp counselor type of person. All right, kids. Oh, yeah, we don't want him dead in the ditch. No, not a problem. But we're hoping that back by, you know, when you find out that you can prove what is the will of God, that you know what this looks like. That doesn't always look like those who are drawing a comic book of Christian living. I When I was young, and I did more art than I do now. <clears throat> I did a, a poster, it was, a, it was an illustration for an independent comic book in California, and it was a, ended up being a poster later on, but it was a, a, you know, a barbarian with a loincloth and a spear, and his leg, he, was, he had planted his leg, he was gonna throw his spear, and he had planted his leg out in front of him, and I did things to that femur that God nor the universe could countenance. I don't know if you like comic books, but if you notice, there's almost like a... when Spider-Man is flying, his, all of his bones are twisted. Because the artist is trying to make all that action go into the drawing, and so he's bending everything out in very unnatural ways. If you saw someone walking down the street and you'd call 911, get an ambulance there quick, they're gonna collapse. But it looks like strong, it looks like action. We sometimes, if we were drawing a comic book version of the church, did you ever see Jack Chick tracks? They're 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 disturbing, but the the, you know, the, the non Christians are always these greasy, uh, pimply uh, people who look like me generally, and the and the Christians are you know Johnny upright you know uh, a polo shirt and. And good parted hair on the side. It's amazing. What do you what do you, what do you picture? Are you picturing comic book Christianity here? Do you know what genuine love can look like? A variety of what it can look like? Not only in the in the um, writ too large. Is there a lot of people who are genuine in their love? who are zealous for the kingdom, who rejoice in the hope they have in Christ, who are regular, constantly in prayer, who contribute, who are hospitable, and would bless those who persecute them. And it's not some sort of, you know, Lance Romance, some, you know, Dudley Do-Right situation. It's not a twisting of the bone. This is the bones of Christianity. This is who you are in Christ. This is what you're supposed to let happen. This is what is supposed to be measured. It's not written out as commandments, it's written out as descriptions. It's an admonition, it's an encouragement. Do this, be this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Not overcome evil with silly good, and you probably have seen those videos shoot Christians say look it up it's a great montage of Christian phraseology how they speak of things and you go okay this is silly good silly good I'm not denying it's good let's you know, give good hearts to the people who talk that way Uh, But I had a a friend, a dear Christian, who believed that Christian decor in your house was important. And one of the ideas was an open Bible with a string of pearls laid across it. And I'm going, you banging my head on the wall. Please, Lord, make it stop. Well, there are those sorts of people in the world. They have those kind of tastes. God has no objection to it. It was was driven by a real pure heart. But we're not talking about that expression in itself. We're talking about the real good. That which you've proved. Back in verse 2. You may prove what is the will of God. You've got a task to find this good nicely described for you over these last... X number 10 verses, you've got that. Whatever shape it takes, you've got that and you've got it proved to yourself. You've looked at the way the world functions and said, I'm not going to be conformed to that. I'm going to hate what's right. I'm going to love what's right. It's going to be real love. I'm going to be zealous. I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to contribute. Those are just standard operating. And that's how we're going to overcome the world. You look to remove the impediments to it. Your benefit to the rest of us is you finding out what you're good at. You have a task that is commensurate to who you are. And God is working for all of us to put the differences that we have... This is an area where there's not one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism. Different gifts. That's what it is. One hope, all these things, different you. But that's what you give in a membership to one another. If you want to be a benefit to the body of Christ, you want to be a benefit not to what we need, but what you've been given. What you've been given, you can carry out, commensurate to the level of gift in you, to the good of the body of Christ. Understand the things that are common and understand the things that are uncommon and make use of them the correct way. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful that we are uncommon, that we have different ways and approaches. Help us be moved by that which is common between us. Driven by your mercies, driven by your mind and knowledge of you, driven by the character that you've made in us all, that you want us all to live like. And Lord, give us a great sense of rejoicing at the good that we can bring into each other's lives with the disparate gifts. Help us be faithful to it all, Lord. In your Son's name, amen.